Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. For several weeks, we've been uh, looking at taking God at His Word. We have the Bible, we have God's written Word to us, to you and to me. Can we trust it? Can we take Him at His Word? Does He mean what He says? And I I think we, we looked at the fact that God's Word is is infallible, without error. It's inspired, God-breathed. It's eternal. It doesn't pass away. It's powerful, and it's alive. God's Word. Thank God He's given us His Word. And we look at some different aspects of that, and every one of them is important. And I want to just run through those right quick, if we can. First of all, it's important when it comes to God's Word that we hear it. First of all, we need to hear the Word. We can't respond in a way unless we first hear it. Next, what do we do? We're to believe it. We hear the word and then we are to believe it. It's true. Then we are to receive it for ourselves. I accept that word for me. We receive it. Next, we talked about the fact that we meditate on it. Meditate on the word. We meditate on the word as we we dwell on that word. We study it. We think about it. We We uh, pray over it, and as we meditate and focus on that word, then it grows inside of us, and it does something to our spirit. It begins to build faith inside of us. That's why so few people grow in their faith, and so few people, uh, and many people struggle with this area of getting strong and mature in their faith is because they haven't yet learned to meditate. They read it. They have their devotions. They go to church, all these things, which are good, but they haven't learned the power of meditating on the Word and building that inside of you. It's absolutely necessary. Then we said we are to confess it or say it. Uh, Jesus said, if you say to that mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, then you will have whatever you say. So it's important to confess and speak the Word. It releases. Words release something. Both good and bad. Words release something. And it's important for us to know that when we speak the truth of the living God, you and I release something. So it's important for us to say it. And then we are to pray it. Remember, we we went through several scriptures where we use the actual scripture to pray for specific things. And rather than our prayer time become boring and repetitive and routine, praying the same thing over and over again, and it, it, it just becomes rather shallow, that God wants us to learn to pray His Word, to speak His Word back to Him. The Bible says that He hears and answers our prayer according to His will. How can you always know you're praying according to God's will? Is when you pray what He says. Because His Word is His will. So learn to take different areas you're praying over, uh, different places where you have need, maybe a situation where you have needs, uh, Family matters, relational matters, so whatever it is, financial matters. You can go to the Word and you can find God's promises and God's, what God says about those things and then pray those to Him. Speak the truth. 
Don't pray about your problem. Pray the answer. Pray the promise. Don't pray your problem. Pray the promise. People oftentimes can pray and they just rehearse their problems. Lord, you know I don't feel good and you know I'm having a hard time. Well, yeah, he knows everything. We don't have to tell him. We don't have to report to him. We don't have to analyze and discuss our prayers. He just wants us to pray and claim and speak his word. Pray the promise. Uh, that takes re-educating a lot of us in our prayer time. And then finally today, closing out this series, we're going to talk about acting on his word or doing it. Doing the word. If it comes down, all these other things are wonderful, but, it, but if it doesn't end in results and in action, then, then we aren't where we need to be. Uh, before the days of the insane political correctness, before the days of uh, Colin Kaepernick and the, his ridiculous antics, there's a story of Nike's slogan, just do it. Actually, it has a morbid beginning. Uh, on the morning of January 17, 1977, uh, a man by the name of Gary Gilmore, who'd been convicted of murdering two people in the state of Utah, was set for execution. And they brought him there to be executed. And, and shortly before the execution, they gathered, they asked this 36-year-old man, uh, do you have any last words? And reportedly, he said, let's just do it. And in 1988, about 10 years later, uh, Daniel, uh, Dan Whedon was an advertising uh, executive in Portland, Oregon. And somehow or another, he recalled the articles about that and recalled that account. And he remembered the crimes, the execution, the last words. And the story goes that that's what inspired the words, just do it. Now, when it was first presented to Nike, they didn't like the idea. But eventually, they took hold of it, and look what's happened as a result. They were a failing company. They were going under until this one slogan, Just Do It, came out, and primarily built around athletic figures and their accomplishments. But later on, unfortunately, they've gone to try to present some type of agenda and political uh, agenda and thought process, and, and that's sad that they've, they've done that. But the power of the word of just do it. Just do it. When it comes to the Word of God in our lives, you and I, it's important for us to learn to just do it. Now, I want to look at that today from two perspectives, two main vantage points. First of all, do the Word. I'm talking about do the Word obedience. Obey or do what God says. Now, Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 21 through 28, the Bible says, and this is Jesus. Jesus says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name. But I will reply, Jesus said, I never knew you. Get away from me. Depart from me, you workers of evil or those of you who break God's laws. An astounding statement that at that day there will be some who stand before him who expect to enter heaven based upon some, uh, on what they supposed to be their relationship with God, but it wasn't a real relationship at all. They even said the words, Lord, Lord. It says that they even prophesied, did miracles, 
Now that's difficult to explain that how they could not really have a relationship with God and still have these things happen, but it still does today, in fact. Unexplainable things happen. And there are those who thought that that, that was enough, but Jesus said, you don't have any relationship with me. The reason he knows you don't have a relationship because he says you don't do what I tell you to do. Uh, the same thing we see in a follow-up a little bit further on Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Jesus says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to me, and then follows me. He says it's like this. He says, someone who listens to me and follows me is like a person who builds a house. He digs down deep and he lays the foundation on solid rock. And then when the flood and the storm and the wind comes and beats against it, it does not fall. It stands. That's the one who hears the word and does it. But he says, whoever hears and does not obey it is like a person who builds a house on the ground or on sand. No foundation. The floods, the storm, the wind comes, and the fall of its greater collapses into ruins. Important to build a strong foundation of the truth of God's word. And out of that should come obedience. It's important to do. The only way you build a strong foundation is to do what it says, obedience. Everybody knows and familiar with the Tower of Pisa in Italy and the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And, and millions have been there over the years, tourists, and there have been millions of photographs made of this interesting 182-foot-tall tower in Italy. Uh, now, prior to the restoration that began around 1990, the tower that uh, was 182 feet high uh, was 17 feet out of plumb. And at that time, they estimated by the year 2007 that it would lean so far it would collapse. After they started rest restoration, they brought it to the place to where it only leans 12 feet to plumb. It's only off plumb 12 feet. They left it leaning so that the tourists would still come. And why, do we, why did the, the Tower of Pisa, why did it lean. Well, the word Pisa means marshy land. They built it on a swamp. It's important for us to build on the word of God, which is a rock. And when we build upon the rock, we do the word, we do the word that's, that's establishing our life on something that's firm. Just hearing it will not develop us. We must bring it to a point to where we're actually Doing it, obeying it. Obey is not an ugly word. Sometimes we get the idea of obeying like it's, it's, it's uh, uh, keeping a, a bunch of set of rules and regulations and legalistic. That's not what this is about. John chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. Jesus says, if you love me, I get this, this is the proof of love. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And Jesus said, all the commandments are summed up in the fact you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength, and, all, and your neighbors as yourself. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. But now, I want you to go on to verse 16. This is important. He says, show me that you love me by obeying me. Do what I say. Verse 16, and here's the promise. And I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate or helper or counselor or standby, the Holy Spirit, and he will never leave you. To me, this is extremely encouraging. 
and comforting. That we have a responsibility to do what God says to obey it. But we're not to do it legalistically. We're to do it through the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, you are to keep my commandments and I will give you the Holy Spirit that will help you do that. Praise God, I'm thankful for that. Verse 21 says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. My Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to them. What a promise. Now, does that mean if I don't obey God, He doesn't love me? No, He still loves you. He still loves me. If I mess up, if I disobey, God doesn't turn against me and hate me. He still loves me. But understand that you cannot experience the, uh, the, the relational love if you disobey. There is, there's a type of relationship you have with Him when you obey Him that, that promises and blessings come with. His blessings come with that. Deeper revelation comes with that. So he says, now, if you'll learn how to obey me, you're going to be blessed by that. There's going to be some special things I'm going to do in your life. You'll have a special relationship with me. You'll have a, a special relationship with the Father. Uh, you're going to enjoy that relationship. So that's important. In James chapter 1, verse uh, 22, 22 through 25, James says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do it. In other words, be doers of the word. We don't just do the word. We are doers. It's continuous. It's who we are. Be doers of the word and not hearers deceiving yourselves. He says that anyone who hears the word and is not a doer, doesn't do it, it, it's like this. He says it's like someone who glances at a mirror. Now, they didn't have mirrors like we do back then. It was polished uh, brass or uh, polished bronze. Or if you were wealthy, it was polished silver, polished gold. And you would have to, uh, he says, if you just glance at that and go away and you forget what you look like. In other words, you don't give serious attention to it. You don't do what it tells you to do. But in verse 25, he says, but if you look intently, the word intently in Greek means to bend over and carefully examine something from the clearest possible vantage point. It's like you stare into that mirror. You, you look into it deeply. You study it carefully. He says, when you look carefully into the perfect law of the word, it'll set you free. And he says, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, get, get this, then God will bless you for doing it. For continuing to do it. It's important for you and I not to be a forgetful, not to be forgetful hearers, but doers of the work. And he'll bless us if we'll do that. Now, uh, I don't mean to be uh, playing down the importance of hearing the word. It all starts right there. It's important that we, that we actually hear the word. There's so much passive hearing today in one ear, out the other. Just kind of, uh, I, I know some of your parents can identify uh, with, your, with your children being passive hearers, only selective hearers and not really listening. You know, and teachers can certainly identify with that type of listening. But we want to have trained ears to carefully hear the Word of God. We need to hear with our hearts and not just with our ears. Hearing the word is important, but it doesn't take the place of doing it. James chapter 2, verse 14, 17, and 18. Now, we're kind of in a Bible study today. I'm hitting a lot of scriptures, and I understand that, but this is important to build that strong foundation. James chapter 2, verse 14, 17, 18, the Bible says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And, and, of course, this infers that it, it can't. Faith must be active. Faith is an active action word. Verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works or corresponding action, 
is dead or is useless, is not enough. It'll not, it, it, it must produce good deeds. It's dead and useless if it doesn't. James chapter 4, he goes on, and he's talking about the danger of pretension and arrogance and boasting in yourself. In verse 17, he says, Therefore remember, to him who knows to do good. Now this is a, this is a sobering verse. It says, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, if you know what you ought to do and then don't do it, it's sin. Now, you can get under condemnation pretty easy over when you take a verse like that. Because all of us can probably, probably all of us can think of circumstances, maybe even in the last few days, where we knew that we were supposed to do something and we didn't. And I mean, know what we're supposed to do according to what God is leading us to do. We knew we were supposed to do it and we didn't. Thank God for His mercy, for His grace. But he says, our lifestyle should get to a place to where when we know what to do, then we'll respond quickly and go ahead and do it. That's to be the heart of the believer. Now, how many of you know that hearing is important, but it's not doing the word? Having good intentions is not doing the word. Knowing what the word says is not doing the word. You know, you can know you should change the oil in your car, but it won't protect the life of your engine. You can know you should exercise, but it won't help you lose weight or stay in shape. You can know you should love your spouse, but it won't change your marriage. You should know that you should pray, but it won't bring results. You can know you should trust God, but it won't keep you from worry and fear. You must not only know, you must do. That's the importance of doing the word. First John chapter 5, verse 3 says, Loving God means keeping His commandments, keeping His word. And it says His commandments are not burdensome. Amplified Bible says His commandments are not difficult to obey. That's where I want to draw a, a clear line this morning between when you talk about obedience, it's easy for us to, to develop or to get over into a religious mindset. That our relationship with God is based primarily on what we do. And here's where we have to have the proper balance. There's nothing, there's not one thing that I can do. There's no way I can earn, earn it, earn salvation. There's no way, no work that I can perform to, in order to be saved. It is a gift of God by grace through faith. It's the only way. We don't, we don't do good works in order to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. You have to hold that, you have to keep that uh, truth down inside of you. That it's not that you get in this rat race of trying to be religious and trying to obey every, every law and everything. Obeying Jesus is not about having a list of rules. Obeying Jesus is about having a changed heart and allowing the work of grace to live through you. It's not about trying to obey him so he doesn't hit you. It's to obey him in order to give him pleasure. Listen, so much of church today, and many of us were brought up with a sense that, yes, you're to obey God. This is right. You don't do it, then you're going to be punished. Well, there's, 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 there are consequences to disobedience. Absolutely, there are. But we need to learn as children of God 
that the highest, the highest motive, the best motive for obedience is love. I want to obey. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you as parents want your children to get to a place to where they don't, they don't just obey you because they're afraid they're going to get a spanking or punished. They obey you because they love you. They obey you because they want to do what's pleasing to you. That's the kind of obedience the Father wants. Something that grows out of an inner working of the Holy Spirit in us, out of a motive to show our love to Him, not out of keeping a bunch of rules, not out of trying to do good enough to be saved, but Lord, I want to bring pleasure to you. I want to please you. Listen, God will help us to establish that kind of motive and that kind of, of, of unction inside of us to do what's right. Will we always do everything perfectly? Will we always do everything that we could do? No. But it's important for us to get to a place to where we're very sensitive to Him and quick to respond and obey and do what He says. Obedience is not an ugly word. Obedience is not a confining word. When you obey the Lord, it sets you free. Many people get the idea that being a Christian means you've got to obey the Lord, do everything that He says, and therefore I'm going to have to give up something. Therefore it's going to limit me. Therefore I won't have any fun. Therefore, I can't go on my life the way I want to go. No, living for Him is not about confinement. Living for Him is about freedom and advancing and moving forward. Yes? He wants us to know that. He doesn't tell us to obey Him because He, he wants to keep run roughshod over us. He, he, he wants us to obey because it opens the windows of heaven and it opens the way of blessing in our lives and we get to a place to where we're obeying Him because we want to, because He's done so much for us. We love Him and Lord, out of the strength of Your Holy Spirit, I want to live in such a way that pleases You, my Father. Long sentence, good word. So important for you and me. I, I, this spoke to me so strongly this week. I sensed the Holy Spirit here this morning. Uh, a very important uh, few verses here in Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, and, and Paul says, he's telling the Philippians, he says, just like you obeyed me when I was with you, keep obeying me when I'm gone. Now, how many of them know there are people like that? There are people that obey you as long as you're being watched. But when you leave, things change. Well, Paul says, I want you to keep obeying me. Even though I'm, I, I won't be there, keep obeying me. And he goes on to use this interesting phrase. He says, I want you to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Now, some people have taken that verse and abused it, misused it, and said that means that Paul is saying you need to work, work on your salvation. You need to work out your salvation. It's important to work. Salvation is by grace. It's a gift. So what's he meaning here? Well, the Amplified Bible, I think, brings it out. And, and it's kind of wordy, but let me read it carefully and listen carefully. He says, continue to work out your salvation. That is, here's what you do. Continue to cultivate it. Bring it to full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling, using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. This is serious Christianity. This is life commitment. Verse 13. I love this verse 13 because he said, do this. This is important. Do this. But look at verse 13. He says, for it is God. Everybody say, it is God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's an amazing verse. Absolutely amazing. New Living Translation says, for God is working in you 
get this, giving you the desire to do His will and giving you the power to do His will. That's His promise. To do what pleases Him. The Amplified Bible says, it's not your own strength. Now, listen. It's not our own strength, but it is God who effectively works in us both to have the will to do His work and to strengthen, energize, and create in us the longing and ability to do what pleases Him. Understand, He says, I'll give you the desire to do what I've called you to do, and I'll give you the power to do it. Now, look, it is, there's a responsibility that goes with it, but here's the thing, as they say, it's our response to His ability. If you're going to obey Him, if you're not going to obey Him and live, we need to learn how to properly respond to His Word and depend on His ability. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? He will help us obey His Word. Powerful, powerful verse. Now the second vantage point, or the second thing, we do the Word, I'm talking about obedience. Now next I'm going to talk about doing the Word of God. I'm talking about action, uh, being active in faith, and I'm talking about doing the Word with miracles and the supernatural. Um, I think we're all going to have... Uh, some different things are going to go through our mind as I, as I share the next few things. And we're all probably going to have some, most of us are going to have some questions. And, and uh, maybe we're still a work in, in progress in really getting to the place we need to be here. But learning to do the word in the area of miraculous and the supernatural. Well, the disciples did, the 12 disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Jesus calls his disciples and he gave them authority. That still works today. He calls us, and then he gives us authority. Authority doesn't come. Under, he calls us, and he gives us the authority. It's his authority. Called disciples, gave them authority. Verse 7. He says, go and preach or announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. He brought those 12 together. He said, go, announce in the kingdom. Heal the sick. You heal the sick. You raise the dead. You cure those with leprosy. You cast demons. You've been blessed. You've been experienced the, the freedom, the grace of God, the gifts. You've seen the things that you, they, they saw the things that Jesus did. And Jesus is saying, you go do it now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being one of the twelve? Following him, seeing all these things happen. He says, now I'm sending you. You go do that. These were guys that struggled believing for healing. These were guys that struggled believing how just a, a handful of fish, loaves and fish were going to, sell th going to feed thousands. These were guys that struggled and got fearful when the storm came. And he says, I want you to go in my name and this is what you will do. They did it and, and, and came back rejoicing. They said... Uh, he said in, uh, actually the example, not only was the 12 disciples, but then there was the 70. Yeah, it's interesting here. Some version says they were, he sent out 70 disciples. Some say he sent out 72, depending on how the numbering is from the Greek to our language. But anyway, we're going to say 70. He sent them out two by two in his name. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says, he sent them out and they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
He had given them power over the serpents, over scorpions, all the power over the enemy. And he said, nothing will injure you or harm you. And they were rejoicing over this. Well, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have been rejoicing? I would have. I mean, this, God, this has been great. This is amazing. Miracles happening all around. I, I, I just speak your name. And you do these miraculous things, even though you're not present with me. He says it. Really, he says, what, he falls on, he says, what's really important is not that you're rejoicing over these things that you've seen happen as you've been doing things. He says, you need to rejoice over the fact of being able to know me or to be enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, rejoice over the fact that they enter, you enter the kingdom of heaven, that people can enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, it's really about what God does in your heart, not about what's happened outside of that. So the 12 did it. The 70 did it. And, and then we find when we read in the book of Acts that the New Testament church saw uh, the book of Acts is filled with healings and miracles, supernatural things happening. The church at times would be shaken, literally shaken as they were praying. Acts chapter 6 verse 8 says, Stephen was a man full of faith and power. He did great wonders and signs among the people. Acts 5.15, it tells us that Peter... That, when he's, that even his shadow, when it would fall on, so he'd walk by someone and his shadow would fall over someone and they get healed. Isn't that astounding? You always, I think, when we read these things, we'll say, oh, Lord, I sure would like to see that. I, I sure would like to see that. I, I, I think of the day of someone that could get to a place in their faith and get to the place and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill them and use them to where literally when they come in contact with others, they don't even have to say a word to them, but just their presence, the presence of the power of God in them will change the person they're with. You know, you do influence people anyway as a believer. Your countenance, your presence, the Holy Spirit in you can change people when you're in contact with them. What about you get to a place to where the power of God is so strong in you that it's released in their life and you see them set free and saved? Anybody like to see that? Was that just for them or is it for now? Well, then we go on and it says in, in chapter 19, there's so much here I can't go. In chapter 19, it says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, the Apostle Paul. So much that the handkerchiefs or the napkins and aprons that they worked in. So they took them to different places and once this piece of cloth taken that had touched Paul, that cloth was taken into the presence, of, taken to someone, that person was healed. We actually have not done it here, but I'm not saying that I'm opposed to it. There are situations today where people have prayer cloths that they pray over, they anoint, and they distribute for people. Um, I'm not super big on that because the tendency is that people's attention go more toward those things than they will toward God himself and the power and faith itself. Uh, but I, I have heard true testimonies of how it's happened. Uh, what's happened is, is that that piece of cloth for them becomes, some people call it a point of contact, to where something is quickened inside them where they actually believe God's promises when they touch it. There's something happened inside them. But this was amazing. This happened with the Apostle Paul that they just took a piece of cloth, material, a handkerchief, something he used even in working, and took it, and when people touched it, they were miraculously healed. 
That would be amazing, wouldn't it? That happened. But was that just for Paul? Uh, so the, the 12 did it, the 70 did it, the New Testament church did it, and we read where Paul and Peter and Stephen and several others. But the very last part I want to look at before we go today is the fact that not only do these groups do it, but the Bible says anyone who believes can do it. This is where it gets interesting, more interesting. Because up to now, we've been talking about history. We've been talking about what has happened. We've been talking about other people. Now we're talking about me and you. We're talking about us. What does the word actually say here? We could spend a lot of time here. I'm going to have to hurry more than I'd like, but let me, this is extremely important. John chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now, anything Jesus said was truth. He didn't have to say, I tell you the truth. But this was a point of, in, this was emphasis. Because you can count on this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, this is, this is, this can be shocking. He says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. So, is that for us today? I mean, there's a lot of whosoever's in the Bible. And this is one of them. Whoever. He says, you will, you believe, trust completely in me. You can do the same works. I have to, people say, well, there's no way we could ever do greater works. Well, you could just do away with that part of the verse and just say, Jesus said, you can do the same works I've done. That is an astounding statement. And one of the things that makes it most remarkable is because we don't. I'm just being, I'm just being honest here. One of the reasons it's so remarkable to us because this is on the page, but it's not in our life. Yeah? In the Christian life and in teaching today, there's a lot of things that are spoken and a lot of things that are read that are not happening. So there are, there are a couple of ways to look at this. First of all, you can simply come to the conclusion that a lot of people have come to and that a lot of Christians, other churches, believers come to, and that's the fact that these things that Jesus was talking about doing, he was talking about that particular group of people, and it ended long before our time. There's no longer miracles today. No longer supernatural healings today. It simply doesn't happen today. There's that belief. That belief is based upon maybe a few things, but one of them is uh, people will say, I don't believe in it because I've never seen it. I've never seen one real example. I've heard people testify they got healed of a headache, so big deal. How do you know? I've seen people talk, talk about they've been healed of certain things. How do you know they wouldn't have been healed anyway? There's all this unbelief, all these examples people throw out there to say, well, I've never seen it. I've never seen a real miracle. Well, first of all, you can look around at your neighbor right now and you will see a real miracle. The very fact that they're here, the very fact that they're alive, and the very fact that they're born again is a supernatural work of God. We've all seen a miracle. 
And we see what we say, little miracles every day. That's true. But what we're talking about here is, is rather amazing signs and wonders and healings and miracles. And I, I haven't seen them, so therefore they're, they're not real. Do you see how backwards that is? But it does line up with the Word of God. He says, whoever believes, it'll happen. Let's flip the side, flip the coin. Whoever does not believe, it won't happen. And the reason people are not seeing, for most part, the reason people are not seeing, we are not seeing, is because we do not really believe. That's not an indictment. It's just we need to be aware of that and do something about it. So, there are those who say that, uh, well, let me read the verse right quick. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, it's talked about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit and prophecy and so on and so forth. It says, it says all these things will continue, but it says, but when that which is perfect comes, that which is in part will pass away. That verse is used by so many people to say that when we finally had the completed canon of Scripture, when we finally had the completed Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we had it, therefore none of these supernatural things and miracles were no longer operative. Because when that which is per has come, when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part is passed away. That's the verse which is used. The translation differences between those folks and me, and probably most of you here, lies in what do we define as that which is perfect. Those who believe that there's no longer any miracles today, supernatural, so forth, that, that, that particular group of people believes that when the Bible, when we got to a certain point in church history, in, in the early days of church, then it stopped. Now we got the word, we don't need any of these things as signs, as wonders. Now, I believe the scripture is quite clear here. And if you study the context of it and go through the context of all the verses there, this is not talking about the completed canon of scripture of the Bible. This is talking about the second return or the, the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that which is perfect is referring to Jesus. When that which is perfect is come, then all the supernatural miraculous these things will cease. That makes absolute sense to me because he is the perfect one. It makes absolute sense to me because there's nothing. There's nothing in our existence that tells us we don't still need miracles. That might have been a double negative there. But we still need miracles and signs and wonders today. There's nothing in the scripture that I can find that says this stopped back there. So this is no longer here. And anybody who claims it's happening today, they fool themselves or they're just fakes. They're phonies. Now, listen, we don't base our faith on miracles. We base our faith on Christ and the work of the cross. We don't serve God because we always get the things we want. We serve God because we love him. He loves us. We don't follow Christ because we're running after some type of event. There are, there are miracle chasers today. People that'll chase anywhere where miracles are happening, zip over here. And I mean, look, it's exciting. I understand that. But the Bible doesn't talk about believers chasing miracles. The Bible clearly says in Mark chapter 16 that miracles will 
follow or chase or accompany believers. We've got it backwards. We don't run after the miracles. The miracles go along with us. Well, that's fantastic. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's wonderful, Pastor. But the question is, is it happening? It's a big question. If it's for today, if it's real, then why isn't it happening more? We give a lot of, I think, one of the main reasons, because we just simply don't believe. It seems so far-fetched. It seems impossible. The Bible says nothing is impossible with God, though. That's a got to deal with that. And it, it seems so far-fetched sometimes because we've not personally, most of us have not personally seen supernatural things of, of blind receiving their sight and the lame walking and dead raised. But it is happening, particularly in other places in the world. I read documented accounts every week of people in other parts of the world who've had New Testament-type miraculous things happen in their life. I think in America, we've kind of rationalized it too much. We've kind of reasoned ourselves out of it. We've got good doctors, good hospitals, and they are. That's wonderful. But look, life is pretty good. And so for us, we've just kind of gotten a little lazy with it, I think, and not really trusting God that he wants to do something amazing and supernatural in our lives, that he wants to release miracles in us. Interesting what they're saying this morning. I believe in miracles. I believe, I believe, I believe. So Jesus says, if you believe on me and me, then he says, the works that I do, you'll do. Now think about it. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He turned the water into wine. I, it's just astounding. Listen, it would be easier not to believe than it would be to believe. If I start looking at those things, Jesus says, the things, the works I do, you can do. And he doesn't put an except, except for this, this, this. He just leaves it there. Well, as amazing as that seems, I believe the scripture teaches there's a possibility. People say, well, Jesus only did it because he's deity, the son of God. If you study carefully the Bible, it, it teaches that Jesus, when he came to earth, he was deity, but he was 100% man, humanity. And the miracles that he did, he did under complete submission to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit in complete faith. And Jesus is trying to encourage us by saying, look, you know, I want you to do things I've done. And that, the primary thing we can do is advance the kingdom. We can all do that. Hey, spread the kingdom news and who Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives today. And we can pray for the sick and we can begin to believe for supernatural things to happen. I don't think we'll see very many supernatural things that happen in our lives and miraculous things in our lives until we begin expecting it. Until we begin really expecting it. Until we really begin. We get to a place where we're living in anticipation. That's important. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Every single one of them. It didn't pass away back centuries ago. The, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, all these wonderful supernatural gifts of God are still at work in the church. We know, the Lord knows, we still need the supernatural power and working of the Holy Spirit in our church today as much as ever. And of course, Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But then... Before we go, just one other little sideline here. 
not exactly the sidelines, pretty important. It says, uh, he says, these things shall you do. And then he goes on and says this. Um, says, and greater things. Jesus says, greater things than I have done, you will do. Greater things than these you will do because I go to the Holy Spirit. That literally blows my mind. Because you look at the list of Jesus' miracles and what he did, and you say, how in the world could I ever do greater than that? Well, in many ways you can't, you won't. But I think there's two things there. We can do greater works because now, since he has died and rose from the dead, there's the truth and the reality of redeemed, changed hearts, and you and I can share the message of salvation and see people supernaturally forgiven and set free. That wasn't available in the same way. People had faith that Jesus was going to give his life for them, but they had to wait. Now you and I can proclaim the kingdom and say that Jesus has already done it for us. You can believe and be changed. That's a greater, that's a greater work. That's greater work than what he did. Another greater work is in just the sheer amount of literally thousands upon thousands of believers around the world who can serve God together and reach out to literally millions of people in his name. Just the sheer size of what can be done is a greater work than him. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works. Here's how. Because I go to the Father. The only way you can do this, he said, now what did I have to do with it? Because Jesus said, when I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit and it is the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do the miracles. It's the power of God in us that brings about the miraculous. God's the source. We're the channel. Ephesians 3.20, remember one of our favorite verses. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything that we ask according to his power that works in us through Christ. So it's his power in us to believe for miracles. Do the word. Do what he says. He gives us the ability and the power and the grace to do it. Do the word. Learn how to walk out and do what Jesus did, the works of Jesus, and anticipate and expect miraculous healings, breakthroughs. If we don't ever get to a place where we literally expect it, we won't see it. I'm all for miracles. I'm all for us seeing a church that just doesn't talk about it, but we walk in it. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's stand. We're going to pray today before we go. <coughs> Praise you, Lord. Well, that, that closed out the series on taking God's word. I hope that the last several messages have been practical and helped and encouraged you. Go back, listen to them, look at them again. Go back, look at your notes. I know most of you are note takers, and I praise God, that's wonderful. Uh, get, you can't, if, if you go away from, if we go away from hearing these things and saying our amens and everything else, and we walk away and we don't see them implement in our life, we're like the one who looks into, glances into the mirror and walks away and forgets. Doesn't really happen. God, bring about that kind of change in our lives today. Thank you. I want, to, I want to ask you before we go. First of all, let's just pray. I just want to ask you as we're praying. Um, have you been challenged? Have you been challenged by the, the message this morning? You've been challenged. 
by this idea of learning to walk in the supernatural in the power of God in a, in a place of wanting to please Him with their whole lives. God wants to release amazing things in your life. Anybody here this morning, you're believing for and looking for a miracle in your personal life, your finances, your healing, your family, whatever it may be. I want to pray over you. And I want to just do it, so we're going to keep it simple this morning. If you want to come forward, I'll pray with you after the worship service is over. But if you need a real miracle and you're going to stand in faith and believe and receive, I want to stand in faith with you. As everyone's praying, if you say, Pastor, I, I'm believing God for a miracle, this kind of breakthrough. I need a miracle right now. And, and you're going to bring it before the Lord right now. Would you raise your hand? I want to. Yes. Okay. Um, hang on to that just a second. We'll come right back here. We've got a microphone here. Somebody get a microphone. Help. doors of our back house, unlocked them, unlocked the door to a screened in back porch and got in our swimming pool. And we were in the house getting ready to go to my mother-in-law's or whatever. And I said, where's Eric? Well, I don't know. He was here just a minute ago. Well, I went out there and I pulled that baby, 16 months old, blue gray, out of that swimming pool. Well, by that time, my husband got down there. Jeff started doing CPR. I hit my knees and prayed, God, please don't let my baby die. God answered my prayer. I wrote a little piece about to, God's the same today, tomorrow, and forever because he does do miracles. I've got one that's 35 years old now. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> and he's, he's got three beautiful girls. Yeah. But God answers prayer. And I think Satan has a Satan correct, not just political correct, so that we don't say things in Jesus' name. And we don't declare them in Jesus' name. Because he's correct. He's got a Satan corrected instead of political corrected. And we don't call things to be as though they're not. And I just want to encourage you that, yes, God answers prayers. He answers big ones. Yeah. He raised my baby from the dead. There's no doubt about it in my mind. We got him to the emergency room, and they said, well, you did good CPR. And I said, no, God did it. He stayed in ICU overnight and woke up that next morning perfect. Praise God. Amen. Praise Amen. God. Yeah. Amen. Today, forever, he is the same. Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll, it'll do us good on a regular basis. Um, I think a lot of times when the New Testament church came together, the early church, they met together mostly in homes. But when they would come together, I think that a lot of the, they would hear from what the apostles had written and they would pray, of course. But I think a part of their gathering uh, would be the fact that they'd come together and maybe they hadn't seen each other in a little while, but they'd come together and they would have accounts of 
the supernatural, the powerful, the miraculous things that God had done in their life that they could share with each other. How many of you know when you hear someone tell you something like that, there's something that stirs on the inside of you and says, absolutely. And the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. What he's done for one, he'll do for you. God will do these things in your life, and we're believing God for it. Uh, thank you for that word. And would you raise your hands and, and let's pray. Everybody pray. And if, a while ago, uh, if you raise your hands and say, Lord, I just really, I, I'm really expecting a miracle in this situation in my life right now. There's hands all over this building. Father, I, I just connect now. With hands lifted up, I connect with my brothers and sisters. Lord, that faith will rise up inside of us. That we'll get planted firmly on the word. That we'll have a heart to please you and follow you. And that, Lord, we will believe that what you've said, you will do. That, Holy Spirit, you will work through us. And we believe for supernatural breakthrough. The enemy is defeated. We're believing for life. We're believing for health. We're believing for strength. We're believing for finances and blessing. We're believing for protection over our family. We're believing, Lord, that you, that you will save some of our family that are lost. We're praying, God, for supernatural healing for those that are in hopeless situations that we'll see the supernatural power of God happen so as to bring you glory in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, can you give a good amen and praise the Lord today. Thank you for your word. Yes.